Praise the Lord. Thank you for that. The worship, the selection. You know, I just want to just say that uh, when when we go through a a letter or a a book in the Bible, the, the themes are given to you through the scriptures. And uh, whereas different, different than preaching through and, and sort of saying, okay, what topic, what this, what direction we want to go. When you go through a letter or a book, you, you, you should be looking for the theme in the book, you know, from what the scriptures say. And today I want us to, we're into the book of Nehemiah, for those of you that are here with us for the first time this morning. And we've been going through Nehemiah. And today I've, I've titled this Nehemiah the Governor. Nehemiah the governor. And um, as he oversaw this building project, the building of the wall, the building of the gates, the protection of Jerusalem. In chapter 4, he had uh, made a challenge to the people in verse 14. I want to read that first. He says, After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember, as we've talked, every time we step out in faith for God or this building project is to to, uh, make Jerusalem safe, that the enemy is disturbed, he begins to mock and ridicule and try to discourage any work that moves towards God. And Nehemiah is saying here that Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid of these ridiculers, these mockers. And he says, remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord. And then he says this as we go into chapter 5 to keep this in mind. And fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. So keep in mind here that that the people have, have been coming back Jewish people have been coming back to Jerusalem to rebuild and make the place livable, make it a place for protection. And as we look at that and as we've looked at the type, if, if you will, about how Christ has us to come to him and we are now his temple and Christ wants us to come to him and he wants to make his home in us and he wants to build us up and encourage us and strengthen us, Similar as you see the way the battle goes to make this happen, the same battle we face spiritually to make ourselves, to bring, bring ourselves to a place of where, 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 where Jesus says, I came to give you life and life to the full, life of abundance. Here he's just said, you fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. Now, as we come into chapter 5, The reason I read that is because I think Nehemiah, the governor, all of a sudden gets challenged with, did he really mean it that there was going to be a fight for for the families, fight for the countrymen, fight for the sons and daughters, fight for the wives, fight for the houses? It's like, okay, Governor Nehemiah, here's your challenge. Let's see if you can walk this out, live this out. And, uh, and you as the leader, and so that we can all follow. So here's chapter 5. <clears throat> there was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against their Jewish countrymen. Uh, just stop there and read this. Stop there and make a comment on this, because 
the people have just been sold out and committed. They had a, like the Bible says, a mind to work. They put their backs into the work. They committed themselves to the work. Even in, in one case, it mentions that not only were, were the men and women, but the, the children were involved in the building of this wall. And they've been getting after it, and they've been getting it done. And all of a sudden, there becomes a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against the Jewish countrymen. And this is what, this is what the cry was. Some were saying, we, our sons and our daughters, are numerous. Let us get grain so that we can eat and live. Verse 3 says, others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields and vineyards and homes to get grain during the famine. And still others were saying, we have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. We and our children are just like our countrymen and their children, and, and their children, and yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. Now here's Nehemiah, the governor's reaction to this. He says, I became extremely angry when I heard their outcry and these complaints. After seriously considering the matter, I accused the nobles and officials, saying to them, each of you is charging his countrymen interest. So I called a large assembly against them, and I said, we have done our best to buy back our Jewish countrymen who were sold to foreigners, but now you sell your own countrymen, and we have to buy them back. They remained silent and could not say a word. And then I said, what you are doing isn't right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and not invite the reproach of our foreign enemies? Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Please let us stop charging this interest. Return their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses to them immediately, along with the percentage of the money, the money, grain, new wine, and fresh oil that you have been assessing them. And they responded. Almost wanted to walk through this section by section and then expound on it, but I want us to read it, and then we'll go back and we'll look at what's going on here. And they responded, we will return these things and require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. So I summoned the priests and made everyone take an oath to do this. I also shook the folds of my robe and I said, May God likewise shake from his house and property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. May he be shaken out and have nothing. Now that's pretty serious stuff getting in your face. And the whole assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. And then the people did as they promised. Now I'm going to stop there. The rest of the section is, is where you see Nehemiah the governor modeling what he is challenging the people to do. And I want us to take a look at this. <clears throat> we must get grain, they say at the beginning. The people have been so focused on building this wall that now all of a sudden they finally get to a place, we're starving. There's, there's a famine here. The first people that spoke were the real poor people, 
And they were more, they were more of the masses, the larger group of people saying that we need to get grain. The second group of people were people that had fields. They, they actually, we are mortgaging our fields, it says in verse 3. We're mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Now, I do have to say this. If you're, there's so much to, to, read, to study and read here, and it's, it, it's almost like we could, just like our brother Ron, you know, when he goes through Romans or goes through a book, he takes forever to go through. We could be forever in this, in this too. And, and so please understand that there's a, I would encourage you to read and one of the books I'd, I'd encourage you to read is Haggai in the Old Testament because it's kind of interesting at the beginning of Haggai because we can look at this and we can think, oh, these poor people, they, they're, they're in a famine and they are complaining and they have a right to complain. But the famine, according to Haggai, came because they were more focused on their personal property than they were on the worship of God and caring for God's house. And he said, you're, you're, you're satisfied living in your paneled houses and, and, the, and, the, and the, the place of worship is, is going to ruin. And so God then, God then held back the rain. In fact, it says the, gro- the ground was so dry, it was cracked. It wasn't even worth plowing. And so you, we have to understand that little backdrop, if, if, if you will, and kind of have that behind us to know that there was some selfishness even in the part of People with poverty and, and people that owned, owned land, they were still more concerned about themselves than they were about the worship of God. Now that happens to us too, doesn't it? We can get who isn't more focused on ourselves than we are necessarily on others and the worship of God. Us first, me first. That was what was going on here. So the idea of mortgaging their fields and vineyards and the homes, because they because first of all, it wasn't producing produce. And then secondly, verse 4 says, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. So they were even trying to borrow money against their, their property to pay a very small tax, but they still had to pay a tax. All this is going on while they're trying to do the work of God to build this place, Jerusalem, to build a wall to protect it, to make it a safe place. And verse 5 is the complaint that says we're powerless. We're powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. They've mortgaged them out. And, and so that's, that's kind of what's going on. That's a little bit of backdrop behind the famine, the reason for it. And, and their complaint is legitimate. But what, ne- what Nehemiah was also realizing was that there was an exorbitant amount of interest being charged to the people and, there were, and it was being charged by the nobles. Those who had money, they were taking advantage of those that didn't. Scammers. You know, I was thinking, I, I wasn't here in 2011 when the, when the flood came here to Minot, but I've heard stories. When I first came and moved to Minot, they said there were scammers here. And whenever you get any tragedy or disaster, you have to be aware. It's in the newspaper. It's, it, it, it's everywhere. It's on the TV. You get warnings from friends. Be aware of scammers. They're coming in to take advantage of people when they're in a difficult situation. 
there's uh, that old John Brown that I keep commenting on that was lived around the 1700s. He says, when, and I've paraphrased what he uh, teaches on this, but he says, when hard times and hard hearts meet together, it usually makes for a miserable time for the poor. You get hard times and you get hard hearts, people coming in, scammers to take advantage. You know, if you get a hailstorm, if you've ever lived through a hailstorm, and the next thing you know, you, the roofers come in, and, and they go into some old person's home, and they knock on the door, and they'll take 5000 down, and that's the last that person sees. And they don't get any shingles for that. They just paid 5000 and the scammer moves out. And people are always taking advantage of it. When you look into the last part of this that I didn't read, Nehemiah did not take advantage of the people. He, he could have purchased land. He could have, because he had resources, he didn't do that. And he challenges the nobles. He gets in their face and said, you're charging interest here? You're also, now you own their land, you took advantage of them, and you need to stop that. You need to stop it. But how did he get there? Well, I think we need to understand, and if we're thinking about this as Christian people ourselves, the first thing we need, I think we need to learn from this is that we need, to be, we need to listen to somebody's complaint. When someone has a complaint, really listen to that complaint. Now, some of you know that I've been in this, I'm in almost to the end of this advanced mediation, this training in peacemaking. And so we're doing a lot of role-playing in this. We're, we're acting out, we're, we're, we're role-playing as if we're the individuals in the conflict that we're trying to coach and help and, and restore. And one thing I'm learning is you have to listen. And when you listen, you have to take notes. And it's hard to listen and take notes so that you've got an idea. So, so you're hearing what people are saying. Can you clarify that? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So that we can understand the problem. And as I looked at this, central to, central to this passage is what I'd like us to really focus on today is that when, in verse 6, when, when I heard, this is Nehemiah the governor, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Now, look at verse 7. And it, you might say uh, in a different translation, um, you know, something different. But then in verse 7 in the ESV, it says, After seriously considering the matter, then he went to accusing the nobles and officials, saying to them that each of you is charging his countrymen interest. And then he calls a large assembly. I want us to focus on that after seriously considering the matter. Depending on the translation you have, some translations say that I consulted within myself. He heard the complaint, and then he consulted within himself. My heart consulted in me. Or another translation, after seriously considering the matter. Or one translation, I took counsel within myself, and then I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I want us to consider when he started to take, consult within himself, take counsel within himself, what was going on in Nehemiah's heart and mind regarding hearing this outcry and this complaint that he as the governor had to get a solution for? And I think as, if, if, we look at, if we look at Scripture, 
we, we see that, first of all, he said he was angry, and he, he's a right to be angry. But he cannot, he cannot address the nobles out, with an out-of-control anger. Proverbs 15, 18 says this, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is, who is slow to anger quiets contentions. So I've got a feeling that Nehemiah was having that wrestling match within himself, wanting to get on with the job, hearing the outcry of the people, realizing that the, the nobles were taking advantage of the people, of their situation, and he was making sure that his anger was under control and given over to God. In the book of James, obviously that wasn't written when Nehemiah lived. But James 1.19 says, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. So now Nehemiah had the favor of God upon him. Could we believe, can we believe that the Holy Spirit was leading Nehemiah to do like what James was led of the Holy Spirit to write? That let him be quick to hear but let him be slow to speak as he consults within himself this cry, outcry, and complaint that he's hearing. And I want to suggest that I think that's what he was doing as he looked at that. And there's also other scriptures now that he would have had in the Old Testament, Leviticus, for example. It says, you shall not hate your brother, Leviticus 19, 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. So I want you to think about this with yourself. When, when, when there's an outcry that comes to you, or maybe your own outcry, maybe it's something you're trying to work out, and all of a sudden you're disturbed by that. You become angry about that. But God wants you to have a consultation with your own heart and to get on level ground with God, with the Spirit of God, with the grace of God, with the mercy of God and the love of God, speaking into your life so that he can speak out of your life with a sense of self-control and yet a sense of knowing this is the right thing to say, this is the right thing to do because God is leading you because I took my time. I was slow. I took my time. I pondered the charges, and I took counsel to myself, and I reflected on the matter. I've just started looking at some of the verses in here, so he has to go and bring the charges. How many of us like to do that? like within your family or on the job or with your friends. When there's an outcry, there's a complaint, and it's legit. And you as a Christian representative, as a representative of Christ in your context, and you hear this if you truly do hear it, and then you take it to heart and you say, well, how am I to respond to this as a Christian? Uh, am, I, am I to go to them now? Am I going to go speak? And how will I speak when I go? In, in the book of Galatians, 
You know, there was things going on there, and you can study old Galatians there. It's a great study. But when Paul sees the conduct of Peter and others in the way they're eating and mingling with the Jews and Gentiles, he says, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, and then he goes on and he tells him off right in front of everybody. In 1 Timothy 5.20, Paul, writing to young Timothy, an evangelist, he says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may, may stand in fear. Now, was the Holy Spirit doing that in Nehemiah? As he consulted within himself, were those kinds of things stirring within his heart as he, as the governor of Jerusalem for 12 years, trying to get this job done, trying to get the work done. I think he knew he had to speak. And he knew who he needed to speak to, the nobles, the rich folk who were taking advantage of the poor folk. For us, if we think the Bible tells us that we're always going to have the poor among us, the poor can be easily taken advantage of. We as a church, as Christian brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to care for the poor, to be, to be sensitive to the poor. Now, I, I, I realize, and I've said this before in, in, in the, even in the past years, in 1986, when I gave my life seriously to Christ, that's a long time ago, I was broke. I was poor. We, we actually, Pauline and I have told you this before, but we went to a financial counselor for three and a half years. And the financial counselor handled our finances because that was the only way we could work with our creditors without uh, getting out of, out of, I mean, without being forced into bankruptcy and we didn't want to do bankruptcy for three and a half years. We were in that state, you know, where we got a little check every two weeks $304 a month to feed a family of six. And um, God brought us through. We lived on more than that because the church stepped in and helped with groceries and the like. But what, what I wanted to say was this, is that I realized that when I was in that condition, I knew more people that were in poverty. Like I, I had a connection with them. It's like I could see them. And then, and then over the years, as God began to bring us out of poverty and, and begin to, you know, we, we, we got our finances back under our own, our own control, if you will, and our own management, and we got completely out of debt, and we've stayed out of debt other than our home. And, uh, but as we move away from that, people in poverty, we're not so connected with them. And, and I, I think that's sad because we have a lot of people that live around this community. We have government housing. We have places around here that are pretty shoddy looking. And I, and I might have thought that of my own place before God enabled us to clean it up. I can always remember a Lutheran pastor coming to our house 
And uh, the, uh, got up, I was up late, uh, up the night before, um, partying, and he came into our, I let him in our kitchen. Kids were sleeping. Pauline was still in bed. She, she worked uh, as a cocktail waitress, so she was still in bed. And we had bottles of this around and cans of this around and empty cans and empty bottles. And he looked at that stuff and he said, is that a way to raise children? Man, I mean, he, he said it. He, and, and, and I know, I don't know how long he pondered. I don't know how he consulted. But he knew what he needed to say, and I've never forgotten it, because he was right. And I think when Nehemiah went through this, and he pondered things in his heart, and, he, and, he, and God, through the Holy Spirit, begins to stir in him, when he spoke to those nobles, those nobles knew Nehemiah's right. We're wrong. And they admitted they were wrong because it was the Holy Spirit that was leading. The Holy Spirit was speaking. And they said, yes. And they said, amen. And they said, we'll do it. But then Nehemiah didn't stop there. He gave them a warning. He said, I summoned the priests and made everyone take an oath to do this, to do this. And I also shook the folds of my robe and said, May God likewise shake from his house and property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. May he be shaken out and have nothing. And they said, amen. Man, listen, the truth of God, it can sting, but when it's been pondered and when it's spoken in truth and spoken in love, it's heard and it's obeyed and it's a done deal. Now, I think we need to follow that pattern. First John, just getting close to the end here. First John 3.17. First John 3.17. It says this. This is for us now. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. You know, when I was looking at this and I thought, yes, Nehemiah's the governor. He did a wonderful job here. It's like he heard the cry of the people. He heard what they were saying. He, he, he pondered the charges. He confronted the nobles and he provided the solution. And then he practiced it, which, which you see at the end of the passage. And I thought to myself, well, Lord, you know, if a message doesn't address Jesus, doesn't bring Jesus into the equation, it really isn't a message. It's, it's, it doesn't have the, the impact that it, that it needs to have. So what did Jesus say when it came to being sensitive to the poor, to being caring for the poor, for those who are rich? And believe me, we are rich in this country. We are so rich. Even the poorest, the poor is rich compared to some in this world. Well, he gives us an answer. Of course, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging, does he? And I want you to turn, and this is, I want us to read this and then go home and even meditate on this, soak in this. Take this home as a meditation this week, as a devotion this week, and soak in this and say, well, where am I at? And how am I living this out myself? And it's Matthew 25, 
And I hope you're okay with me finishing out with a little bit more scripture from the Bible. But 25, starting at verse 31, let me just read this and let the Holy Spirit take these words and speak to you and speak to me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and he gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and he gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't, care, didn't take care of me. And they, then they too will answer, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and, and not help you? And then he, he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will all, they will, they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. They said, Amen. We will do it. And Nehemiah said, You better, because I will shake out my garment. And those that do will remain. Those that don't will be gone. They'll be dealt with. It's serious stuff. The Lord Jesus wants us to take care of the less fortunate, of the least of these, of the poor. And when we're rich and we have much, not to take advantage, not to go buy their property just because we can, because they can't pay the payment, but to figure out something to help them out. Then Jesus gives us some instruction. And he gives it through Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a good governor. And he got the job done. And he took care of the people. And he rebuked those that were taken advantage. And he sorted it out. And they went on and kept building. Father, in the name of Jesus, there is so much more we could say here. But Lord, I think we've said enough for this morning. Lord, I just pray that we would listen and hear the cry of those less fortunate, that, Lord, those that have a sense of powerlessness because they've lost everything, that will hear, that will ponder, that will be asked to be filled with you, Lord, filled with your Holy Spirit, that you will give us the right counsel to take to them, a strong rebuke, a loving encouragement. 
Father, you will show us how to do that. And then, Father, make us aware this week, Lord. I admit that I, I've been so long uh, removed from that time of really tough times, really tough poverty. Lord, and it's so easy just to walk by the less fortunate. I pray that we would be a church that would hear the cry, hear the complaint, and respond just like Nehemiah did and like Jesus wants us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.